This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome back to your Stoke City podcast, Every Step Along the Way. Now, this pod, as you can tell from the music, is a special Christmas edition. Now, it's going to be split into two sections. So section one is going to be our team of the century, as voted by hundreds of you eager beaver Stoke fans. Uh, part two is going to be following on Thursday at 7 a.m. It's going to be covering a wide range of topics, but there's a very fun uh, and a hilarious, uh, con- closely contested actually, uh, Christmas quiz, uh, very much obviously Stoke City related, um, and also a variety of different other topics. So uh, grab the presents, grab the sellotape and wrapping paper, grab a couple of drinks and enjoy the pod. So ding dong merrily on high. We're joined here, we've got four, four guests with us this week. Monster pod in celebration. Christmas, does it feel like Christmas? Mike, feel like Christmas to you? Um, yeah, I suppose it kind of does, mate. I mean, I'm, I'm going to the uh, the Trentham uh, Lights soon, so I've been booking all that up and and whatnot, mate. But yeah, I'm feeling Christmassy, and me, I'm sitting here in my nice dressing gown, mate. Uh, but nah, I, mean, I must admit, I'm quite impressed with Liam. Obviously, people can't see this, but Liam's got his uh, Christmas jumper on, so uh, I couldn't feel any more Christmassy than that. Trying to raise the spirits, guys. <laughs> and he's got COVID negative as well. He's already proven that. Not got my test. I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all good. So obviously we've got Liam with us. Who remember from our special podcast uh, that we did on the Icelandic years. Uh, we've also got Ben with us. Ben Rowley from the YYY Files. How are you, Ben? I'm all right, mate. I am. I am feeling relatively Christmassy. You won't see this because I'm sat down so low, but I've got my. My Christmas jumper on as well. Um, I've also had my Christmas dinner today. Uh, went out for a Christmas curry yesterday, and we were supposed to do Secret Santa today, but my friends were far too hungover for that. So Christmas curry. Been... Yeah, what's more traditional than a Christmas curry at this time of year? I've never heard of <laughs> like that, a mate. turkey jar crazy or no, no. What did I have? I had a paneer because it's cheesy. <laughs> and then. Last but definitely not least, we've got Andy who joined uh, me and Mike on the pod a few weeks ago. How are you, mate? Are you all Christmassy? I wouldn't say I'm as Christmassy as I normally need to. I need to get some more shopping done, but that's about it. Oh, so you're like the stressed side of Yeah, Christmas, I'm still waiting for the <laughs> final paycheck, so that's why I need 
to get everything going. <laughs> it'll land, mate. Don't worry, it'll land. Make sure. <laughs> um, right, so so we might as well crack on, haven't we, with what we're going to do today? Now, I don't know if um, everyone's been looking, but on Twitter we've been putting some polls out over the last say month or so, and it's been looking at whittling down the players who've played for us over this uh, course of this century, so the last twenty-one years and sort of voting them right through to pick basically the team of the century so far. Um, and obviously now it comes the time where we're going to uh, put, you know, put that out into the ether so you, you all know who your selections were. Try to keep it as secret as possible, sort of deleting Twitter posts as the, the, the final polls <laughs> so no one could see. But yeah, so what we're going to do, we're going to run through that. We picked 4-4-2. That was the first thing that was picked. And uh, yeah, so the goalkeeper... Now the final four for the goalkeepers, it uh, just sort of showed, you know, just what you know what quality we have had in nets uh, this century. So we had Mark Crossley, Jack Butland, Thomas Sorensen, and Asmir Begovic. They were the four goalkeepers that made the final. Uh, four quality goalkeepers, I think we'd all all agree. But yeah, the, yeah. the final. So Mark Crossley got three percent. Butland, 8%, and then it was really tight. 42% to Asmir Begovic and 47 to the winner, Thomas Sorensen. So what do we all think about that? I mean, the guy's a legend for, you know, for that period into the FA Cup final, keeping us up where, you know, when everyone said we were going down as you know, we first got promoted. What, what do you think, Liam? Well... Based on those four choices, it shows one thing that Tony Pulis really knew how to pick a goalkeeper, didn't he? I think they were all Tony Pulis <laughs> yeah. signings. Um, yeah, I mean, I voted for Tommy Sorensen as well. I think they're all quite likeable, but I just really liked the bloke as well. Like, he made such a difference coming into that team that, you know, had very limited Premier League experience. Someone who came in, I don't know how many times he'd played for Sunderland and Villa, but, you know, he made his name in the Premier League and... He helped sort us out, and uh, I'm I'm glad to see that he got the number one spot. How much did we sign Sorensen for? I've got three in my head, but I don't think it was free, was it? He was it? free. Was it? He was free. We actually tried to sign Scott Carson for like quite oh, a few course. million. And I've got we a story on that. We didn't get him. Go on. Yeah. So, obviously, when we got promoted, I, obviously I, used, I went down the club, but I didn't up until that point. So, I sent him an email basically saying, you know, do you want me to do, do you, nobody covers your under-18 stuff, I'll do it. And so obviously I got invited down to meet the media manager. And obviously I walked, so I went down there, waited in the club in reception, and there's just, in the reception, it's just me and Scott Carson, eyeing up all the photos on the wall. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I became very starstruck for about 10 minutes, like 10, 15 minutes, I'm sat there, and I didn't say a word to him the whole time. <laughs> just kept looking at him, it's him. Yeah, it definitely is Scott. That is Scott Carson. <laughs> so I can confirm that's how close we were to signing Scott Carson. He was he was waiting for his agent. <laughs> it's interesting though, isn't it? I mean, small margins. I mean, obviously Tommy Sorensen was he had a great impact for Stoke, but if it would have been Carson um, over, you know, obviously Tommy. I mean, you just don't know how how different things would have been, do you? I mean. Uh, the the one remaining memory, and I know there's probably a lot of memories for for Tommy, but I think the one thing for me was that save against Man City in the final. And I know I know we didn't win, but what a bloody save that was! I I can't believe how good it was. But I mean, you guys may have some better memories uh, potentially uh, than than that. But that's that's the instant one that comes to my mind. And anyway, 
don't know about you, and do you remember any particular moments of of particular classmate or he was just not all particularly. Over, Tommy Sorensen's start of when I started properly watching Stoke, because obviously me being the young one here. But I think I voted Asmir Begovic because that's the one that, when I started thoroughly watching, he was after Tommy Sorensen. He took over from him pretty much. Mm. And everyone knows the moment that Asmir Begovic has. The 95-yard goal against Southampton. Oh, yeah. That was very wind-assisted, that, though, for Bego, wasn't it? Still a goal. Um, I, th- I still think bloody goalkeepers should be celebrating that. Yeah, they they, they look shell shocked when it happens, don't they? They're like, <laughs> feels me, I'd be screaming and running into the stands. I would. I mean, it, it's as if they feel sorry for the opposition, isn't it? The opposition yeah. keep like, sorry, mate, sorry, I've just scored past you. I know, cost you your clean sheet bonus. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> goalkeepers yeah. union. Yeah, it, it, it was it was mate, but um, yeah. So I mean, in, t- in terms of in terms of me, I think he was he was a great keeper i mean you mentioned mark crosley was obviously on on that list and i mean he he helped keep keepers up that season he came in didn't he i mean some of the saves were like next level uh from what i remember um but yeah i, th- I think tommy deserves it i mean uh ben d- did you vote in this one man i know you you were voting a number of them but did you vote for tommy on this one yeah so for me it, w- it would have been thomas Aronson. um i think we spoke on my podcast about how close it is between Sorensen and Begovic and I think a lot of people pick Sorensen based off the fact that he has more of those celebrity moments penalty saves you know and if you're in the cup finals and European football and stuff you just have more standout moments than you do in a regular run-of-the-mill season as maybe Begovic had um I think it's fair to say though out of the four you mentioned there there's potential that Butland had potentially the best spell of the four I think Butland might have been the most naturally gifted of all of them, perhaps. It's just a shame how he he massively fell off a cliff and left as well. Um, I think if he'd have kept his level from the Premier League, I think he'd have been a runaway winner of this. Do you think um, the Coates family regret not selling Butland for the 20-odd million we were reportedly offered? I mean, surely they must regret that. They probably regretted signing... Bula and Wimmer as well. They probably regret a lot of things. Um, but 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 then if we were gunning for promotion, you could argue, look at what teams like Bournemouth and West Brom uh, and Fulham are doing. The right thing was to keep your players. And I I think in hindsight, it's easy to say, yes, lots of regrets. But at the start of the season, how excited were we? How excited were, were we to think that we had the best squad, possibly the championship scene in, in a long, long time, maybe barring Wolves. So hindsight's great but i think there was more going on than just bad transfers it was just bad mentality and we had good players in there they just like i say collapsed yeah i think butland's butland's issue seemed to be i remember like that qpr game it all started then it's the first game of the season and he just come charging out of his goal missed the ball completely and they just rolled it in and it seemed to me that Obviously, he'd been, he was England's number two. Jordan Pickford plays different styles of him. And it was as if he'd spent the summer thinking, I need to change how I play. I need to change how I play. Started doing stuff that wasn't natural, got in a bit of a rut, and he just never really recovered with Stoke from there, did he? But yeah, I, I, I sort of agree with what you're saying there, Ben. That, that one seat, that sort of had that spell, that one season where he was you know, playing every week, he wasn't injured. And he, some of the saves he was pulling off were just incredible. I think one thing we didn't mention about um, Begovic, and we probably 
a lot of people may have forgotten about it. Do you remember when he first signed, we wanted him to play in the cup for us and he refused to play uh, the, the game? I mean, he it shows how good of keeper he was because if most players refuse to play for the club because they think it's beneath them to play in what I assume, I think it would have been a League Cup game. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, It goes to show how good he must have been to bring that back. And I think most fans have forgotten about that, in fairness. Especially um, with Tony Pulis. Yeah. Yeah, he's very, very lucky. He was clearly good because, as you said, he, he won kind of peel his back. But, um, yeah, I must admit, mate, we've always been very, very lucky, haven't we, with goalkeepers in, at this club? Um, I think we've still got... I mean, the keepers won't go into all that, but I think the current keepers are a quality. Um, Davis have, seems to have got his head back, screwed back on again, uh, which was which is good to see. Uh, Bursic, you got to feel sorry for him. Uh, yeah, I think he was clearly going to be the number one, so... Um, I think the only thing that worries me at the minute is obviously Davis. He's what is he thirty? Davis now, um, or he's going to be very much there or thereabouts. Um, you know, we about other keepers kind of coming in. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen Bonham play. I certainly haven't. Uh, Blondie seems to be a long way away uh, at the minute from the club. I think he went out on loan and he's barely kicked the ball. I think. I think me and you discussed this, Dan, uh, a few weeks ago, but. I think we we do need some quality keepers coming through. Um, who's the who's the goalkeeper we've just signed? The fielding. Did you sign someone? Yeah, yeah fielding. fielding. Yeah. He, he, I noticed he hasn't even been unveiled. He hasn't got a picture on the Stoke site, which is to be fair, De Haney <laughs> hasn't got a picture on on the Stoke site. Um, Sam Sorridge doesn't either. Has he not? That's <laughs> <laughs> I was to myself who was in the squad. <laughs> I had to look and I was like, oh no, Sam Sorridge, okay. Bloody hell! Uh, I think. I think they've got some decent keepers like in the youth setup, haven't they? I mean, um, obviously that Tommy Simkin is in the England setup. Nathan Broom has been in the England setup. Joe Bursic is in the England setup. <laughs> so we must we still have like I think we all, but I think that's sort of you know clubs have identities. One of ours definitely would be good goalkeepers. I think we've always you know pretty much always had good goalkeepers right the way through, right the way back to like Banks, Shelton, you know. There's, there's always been good keepers, aren't there? I think we've... So we're all agreeing then. We're all agreed Tommy Sorensen. He's got yep. the nod from all of us. Good choice. Let's move on to right-back then. So the final four for right-back. I'll give you... So Phil Bardsley got 6% of the vote. Andy Griffin got 9% of the vote. Carl Hopkins was in second with 19%. And the winner, of course, Andy Wilkinson, 66%. Runaway winner for right back, so he slots in there. So, did you see much of Wilco then, Andy? Like Sorensen, he was sort of towards when I started watching, but when I did watch, he could pretty much back pocket any player he had on him. I remember I went one of my first games was watching Man United against Stoke, and even Ronaldo couldn't really get past him. He, I, he, I think he clobbered him once or twice with a tackle, but. He would still, yeah, he, he, he could pocket like, anyone. He certainly liked to leave his mark. Oh, he did. <laughs> I seem to remember a tackle, I, I could be wrong, I'm pretty sure it was Wilco. Uh, did we play Leicester? And it was towards the Boothen end, and he absolutely cleaned somebody out. Did he, I swear he put him into the, into the, 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 the railings or so, something like that. <laughs> I can't remember who it was. The River Trent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely cleaned him out. Uh, it's, the ball had gone, and he just sent him flying. It's like Madison or so, something for, for Leicester. Um, but yeah, Wil- Wilco, I must admit, it was a very engineered um, goal for Wilco and his testimonial, wasn't it? 
Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, the keeper's obviously Nash, I think it was in goal, he's walked up to him and he's clearly said, I'm going to put it to your right. And in fairness <laughs> to Nash, he does dive correctly. He didn't dive the opposite way. But um, yeah, I think everyone knew how that was going to go. But did anyone go to that? I mean, I was, I can't remember where I was, but I, I didn't go. But did anyone else go to the, the testimonial? Ben, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. I wasn't on the pitch as most people were who were there because I was in the uh, the the upper tier of the Q railing stand. So unless I decided to dive off the balcony, I wasn't going to join them, unfortunately. Um, I did get a good video, though, of everybody diving on the pitch. So that's that's half an effort, I suppose. I'm pretty sure. I think I said this in my podcast once. I'm I'm 90 percent sure that it was Tyrese Campbell who either won the penalty or gave the penalty away. One of the two, I'm sure he gave it away. Um, and I seem to be thinking, remember that name at, at the time. I might be chatting crap. I might have had too much mulled wine. But um, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Um, and you were talking about uh, him cleaning people out as well. I remember him being cleaned out by, I want to say, Gardner for Birmingham or something like that. He got cleaned out. just re- like It could have been a red card quite easily. But Wilco just got up and shook his hand and got on with it. And yeah. that's exactly the type of character... He was. He was a great footballer. Loved Stoke. And I think that alone, forget his ability, that that alone, I think, would set him so highly in Stoke fans' expectations that no wonder he's a runaway. Do you think those days yeah, are gone? I think... do, do you think we actually breed players like that anymore? Or the old pre good rolling all over the floor? I think it's probably the latter, personally. I, th- I think they're out there. Um, they are fewer and far between, but you know, there's there's play for Stoke that gets stuck in. Um, not 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 perhaps as much these days. I, I think players are a lot more concerned about injuries, really. And and we know how refereeing is going as well. I think they're letting <laughs> a little bit more back this season. But I mean, Phil Barsley loved to tackle. <laughs> like it, yeah. you know, he wasn't shy of that. We saw some absolute stinkers from from players in Stoke. He loved to punch on Rooney as well, didn't he? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I, I remember that year uh, that tackle Bardsley did on Hazard <laughs> in front of the team. Yes. yes. Don't remember that one. For line. But uh, that Mam Juve didn't make this poll either. <laughs> <laughs> Mam Ma- Juve uh, gallantly out in the second round, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think the thing with Wilco as well, a lot of football hard men, when they actually. They're all right, sort of giving it out. But if somebody does it on them, then, you know, they're all kicking off and that. And that's what you say about Wilco there. He got up, shook his hand. Because he's like, yeah, you know, I'll give it out. I'll take it. That, that's what he wanted, That's how he wanted the game to be played. And, and like I say, that's a credit to the man that that's how he was. What, I mean... Oh, sorry, sorry, Dan. I was going to say, what did you think of Carl Hopkins? I remember... I remember he was, he was always an attacking... Fair, probably would have been quite good in our current system, in fairness. Um, but I, I see, I've got vague memories of him. I remember being asked to interview him once for, for something. I, I, don't, I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been when I was part of Not FM. And um, I remember he had a big fallout with Pulis behind the scenes, from what I remember. I, just can't, I can't remember what it was, though. I swear he went uptown or something stupid like that. He but, wasn't Pulis' type of defender. <laughs> no, he was too flash, wasn't he? But... Um, I seem to remember him being a relatively decent rap. I'm surprised he even made the the final four, mate. If I'm honest with you, I mean, I don't didn't think he was that good. Oh, I don't know. He had a good. I think um, the fact that he was clearly Boskamp's best signing, I think, helps. He kind of, you know, 
you know a dwarf among midgets perhaps but he was certainly uh you know a really good um i think he started at center half and um he did yeah they quickly realized that that this you know championship football you need you need a certain type of center half that he wasn't and he he got shifted to right back and um he, he did a good job i liked him and um we, there was a lot of um bad feeling when he left it, it was sort of the second spell of Pulis before things got good and there was a feeling that we were moving towards a certain style of football that we'd been with in the previous Pulis regime the, the, the binary years essentially and Hofkins getting sort of phased out and not played and, and even when we weren't playing very well wasn't getting a look in we've seen it with other players of similar ilk to him and I remember there was a meet the manager evening at um, Delilah's bar and the first five questions were about Carl Hopkins to Tony Pulis and uh, you know he, he obviously batted them off very well like he does but there was a kind of a feeling that you know you're picking on this guy because he's the foreign flash player whereas you know we like him and we want to see that kind of football down Stoke and um, so he kind of left with probably a reputation that was enhanced and you know beyond his own ability in a way. It was funny you used to say that. You know, when you said about the flashness, um, reminds me of Tonshai. He could have been great, couldn't he? And he just clearly was not a Tony Pulis player. Um, that, I remember that cut in against Man United and bent it into the top corner. He was capable of things like that. But yeah, unless you were a bit of a bruiser, if you were a flash player, you didn't get a team. Bojan would have never played for Tony Pulis, ever. <laughs> what you talk about cuttings, I remember Carl Hoffkins when he first signed doing quite a few dragbacks at centre-half. <laughs> Cruyff turns. Oh, God, uh, yes. Thinking, oh, this is a bit different. <laughs> this isn't uh, Michael Dubry and uh, Clint Hill. What's going on? Uh, but, yeah, he was, I say, he was quickly put out to right-back. And I, I, think he, I think he stayed season at centre-half, didn't he, with Boskamp, who preferred Lewis Buxton at right-back. <laughs> so, mm. For some reason. Yeah, um, yeah let's, let's move on from that one. <laughs> yeah. But, um yeah, he, like I say, once he got to right back, I thought he did well. Um, I think he was a fan's favourite because he was just something different once. He was a bit of flair. And like you say, he was probably Boscombe's best signing, like Liam said there. Uh, I take it you never really saw Hopkins play then, Andy, as well before your time. Never really even heard of the name, so. Go, watch, think, go get the yeah. clips. I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that case, I think 66%, and I think we're all in agreement, aren't we? Yeah. Andy Wilkinson, good choice at the right back. Well done, people. It's two out of two. <laughs> so we'll move over to the other side now, left back. And uh, one guy who, well, he's, he's came, got to the final, and I don't think he'd have got to the final before this season, but Josh Timon did, and he got 10% of the vote. And then we've got Mark Munies, who got 21 Danny Wilkinson, 30, Danny, Danny Higginbottom even, got 34%. Just pipped by one vote, Eric Peters, one vote more, got the spot at left-back. Oh, that's close. Oof. I, I, wouldn't see, I wouldn't put Munieza at left-back. I know he did play there a couple of times, but... Mm, OK, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone's got any particular preference, but um, Danny... I think I went for Danny Higginbottom on this one. But yeah, I think for me, the only great left backs I seem to have ever really having were Clive Clark. Um, Higginbottom was uh, obviously definitely up there. But again, I think these fullback positions, we haven't exactly been graced with 
uh, with great fullbacks over recent years, have we? But um, yeah, Higgy gets mine just for those free kicks in the lead up to the uh, to Wembley. To be honest, just the guy just oozed passion, and he, he obviously he, I think we signed him from Sunderland, didn't he? Then go back to Sunderland, and then we signed him again. We got him from we got him from Southampton, and then we sold him to Sunderland. I knew it was red and white. That's the... and, and, and that's funny as well because I know we were saying before about Begovic refusing to play. Didn't Higginbottom do something similar? Maybe not refuse to play, but sort of demand to move. And then twelve months later, because um, we've been promoted, he was like, oh, "Yeah, I'll come back now." Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I say when he came back, it wasn't as if he was um, half-hearted or anything. Was he? You know, he always gave hundred percent and everything. And but yeah, I think I, I think Eric Peters. He was just he was steady, wasn't he? I think he got a lot of maybe got a lot of stick whilst he was here, especially towards the end. But maybe when he left, people sort of realised what they were sort of letting go. Yes, I was about to say exactly that, mate. You 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 notice when he'd gone and he's like, Oh, Stoke plays always he's not good enough to play for us, except he's playing week in, week out in the Premier League when he went. So he couldn't have been that bad. Um yeah. He played right wing for Burnley. <laughs> Christ. Uh, yeah, but no, I think, like I say, I, th- I think I definitely agree with that particular um, voting, mate. I think it e- could have easily have gone to both of them, though, in fairness. So you've got to bring Andy in on this. I'm sure you've seen, are you sure you've seen Eric Peters play? I've definitely seen Eric Peters play. <laughs> I was at the game where he scored that goal where he was meant to cross it. I was at oh. Newcastle. I Newcastle. believe that was against Newcastle, yeah. Yeah. And I think I was sitting down in, not the Boven end, the other one. The opposite side. I can't remember the name of it. But that's the away end. Yeah, the away end. Yeah. Call it. <laughs> but otherwise, um he he did like to build up the play as well. Steadily bringing it up the pitch and passing it in. I think yeah. um was um Eric Peters he was like Mark Hughes's first real signing, I One think. Off. I think we signed yeah, we, yes. we signed like pennants again, I think. But and you know, it goes back to the, the infamous Stoke City left-back problem, what left-back problem, I guess, that seems to have plagued us for a number of years. And he came in and everyone was just amazed that we'd signed an actual, this guy is a left-back. It's not a (laughs) centre-off that can play left-back. He's not a makeshift left-back. He was an actual left-back that we'd signed. And even, you know, even Higginbottom was a centre-half that could play left-back and do a job when, you know, Danny Collins wasn't performing or Munier. So like you said, his best position was probably centre-half and um, Eric Peters just we just we found something that we hadn't seen since probably Clive Clark or Marcus Hall where we actually had a you know this guy plays left back and although I think he did occasionally turn up on the left wing but to no real <laughs> impact he was a left back and that's where he was always going to play and he in most of the time he did a really good job for us you know what yeah. uh, you mentioned sorry sorry Dan uh, you mentioned about um Josh Timon and um He'll actually come up as part of my other sections later on. But um, I'd be interested if we did this in 12 months' time, where, where Josh Timon would be uh, in these in these ranks. I bet he'd have a lot more than 10%. I think he said he got. Yeah, I'd take it if we get promoted this season, we'll definitely be getting a lot more than 10%. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good, good, old, good, old, good on Josh. It's funny how you were saying there as well, Liam, about um, obviously him being an actual left-back and obviously when Danny Collins, but Danny Collins was a centre-off and then we had like Mark Wilson uh, who was out there for a long time with his famous drag-backs as well. He used to, uh, he used to just wait for it. And like, I don't know how these attackers 
he does it every week. How have they not picked up that? How <laughs> some analysts not gone? By the way, when he goes for clear down the line, he's going to pull it back inside to just. He's, I remember it was it Stuart Downing and Stephen Gerrard. He both slid past him once, and he just like yeah, he's just left about what fifth, six fifty, sixty million pounds worth of talent at the time. Just slide straight past him. Gonna say Mark Wilson, you forgot that one, mate. The best left back in the league. Do you remember Pierre saying that? It, he, was, he was in the voting. He just didn't get through. Not oh, my, really? I, I, not my fault. Fair enough, like that. So, what do you, about you, Ben? Do you think would you have been Higgy or, um, Higgy or Peters? Peters for me. Imagine if Peters was in a Pulis team for a minute. He'd have been the best left back going, I think. You know, he was he was a proper fullback. He wasn't a wing back as, you know, I think towards the end of his Stoke career he was sort of forced into by Hughes and then later managers. Um, you know, he, he did all right with Anatovic. I think Anatovic sort of carried the the forward threat and, and and Peters I think regularly got most tackles in a season or most completed tackles in a season in the Premier League. So he was good at that side of the game. Um again under Pulis I think he'd have been fantastic. Um, and rated a lot higher than he is now. Um, but I do remember Peter's other goal. I think I was there for that one against West Brom away. I think we were 4-0 down and he just scored one from like 40 yards out, top bins, 90 plus three. And I just was like, why couldn't you have done that earlier? Like, why have you waited till 90 plus three? Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I, I had Higginbotham for me um, just because of, I think the time and what he was involved with, and I think that's probably uh, a big theme of what a lot of players are going to be selected for in this 11. It's going to be what they won and what they participated in. Um, because I think in terms of ability, they're, they're all very different players. Munieza, for example, um, was very technical. The goal against Burnley shows that. And I think, yeah, he's the centre-half for me. Um, and then, as we were saying, we've not had many left-backs either, so it, it it's not really a fair competition. Tyron himself, you could argue, is is more of a wing-back than a left-back, maybe. Um, mm. It's a weird, weird position. And and you wonder whether, if, if these players have played in different eras, I mean, if you'd imagine Tyron in a Pulis era, he wouldn't have done anything, would he? You know, it would have been nowhere near it, would he? Yeah. Uh, like I say, mate, do do these do these results in I think we'll have to do this, Dan, uh next year, mate. Uh do this result again next year. Let's see how much more Timon's got. Um, I wanna make a point on Timon. I remember when we first signed him from Hull and I was thinking, why on earth have we signed Josh Timon? And I think one of the first games he played was that four 0 loss against Derby in twenty nineteen. And I remember yeah. watching it, I was thinking we have did we spend money on him or was he a free? No, he was, was a free, free transfer. No, he was, was in Hull's academy, basically. Yeah. We were linked with Andy Robertson at the time as well. Yes. And he went to Liverpool. Imagine if we had Andy Robertson. We, no, mate, mate, if we had Andy Robertson, we, we, we would have destroyed him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we do with most players. I'm, I'm, a bit like uh, Maguire when we wanted uh, Harry Maguire. Oh, God. Wasn't Andy Robinson on the way to Stoke and he had the phone call from Liverpool? And was yeah. Like, right, yeah, I'm going there instead. Pretty much. <laughs> and we'll go, oh, we'll sign the other... Northernish yeah. fullback instead from Hull, but we, Josh we has definitely need, turned himself uh, around. We need a left back from Hull. <laughs> yeah, it was but a disaster. That's a good point, Andy makes. That, like we sometimes as Stoke fans, we we're very quick to write off young players, but yeah. 
give them chance, give them time. They're going to get better, and we see that with you know several of our first team players at the moment that yeah. they might not. They're not the even now. You know, Tyrese Campbell isn't the complete package that he could be in five years, and we have to weather that those early years. Otherwise, we, we're just going to end up with the same sort of journeymen that we've been become used to over the last several but seasons. How important would you caveat that though with? a manager who wants to play these players. I mean, it's no, it can't be any big surprise that all of a sudden we've got all these young quality players coming through, whereas previous years we didn't seem to have any. I mean, Wilco and Dicko were the only ones that I can remember really, ever really coming through. Everybody else, it was like a, I mean, I remember Crew always being praised for their great academy, and they did have a very good academy, but no one ever saw Stoke having a good academy. Um, whereas recent times, I mean, O'Neill. I don't know whether it was a, a directive from the owners. I'm, I don't know if they're going to really dictate that much. But, um, yeah, it clearly shows you get a manager who's willing to play them. Pulis would never have done that. Um, as much as I love Pulis, he, he would never have done that. So it's so important. He w- the same with Pulis was, he would have preferred the experienced head going into a position they don't know, square pegs in round holes rather than bringing in a young player who he, who he doesn't know if he can trust. It was like he could trust Danny Higginbottom to play left-back instead of centre-half because he knew he had the experience, he knew his character, knew that he would sort of mould into that role. Whereas if he was bringing an actual bona fide left-back into the side, he maybe was thinking, mm, are they ready? Uh, you know, do I want them to make mistakes? On my watch, I think that's why he sort of he was quite keen on sending a lot of youngsters out on loan, wasn't he? Because he liked them to go and make the mistakes for other people, and then come back to him a bit more sort of smooth around the edges kind of thing. But I think it's it's funny as well, like you say now about young players and giving them a hard time. I've seen a lot of comments today as well about Tom Edwards and people still, oh well, you sell him and all. I'm like. The guy's just been to New York for 12 months and people are still, his attitude and all that. I'm like, he's still only 22. So 22 now? You know, how much... Last time he played for Stoke, he's probably about 20 years old. So how many people at 20 can't say they're not mature at 22, especially going living in in a foreign country for over 12 months? You know, let's give the guy guy a chance. Everyone's just too quick to write write people off. Yeah, good point. (laughs) <laughs> so we're quite thinking that are we Higginbottom Peters we're sort of split on this one but obviously Eric's got the position but we're quite happy either way yep well so right well we've got four mountains here now centre halves <laughs> so I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to bump into this upset any of these Abdullah Fai 4% Harry Souter, 6%. And then the two who've made it into the team, Robert Tooth got 30% and Ryan Shawcross got 60%. They all, they, uh, the gang back together at centre-half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, mate. I think, again, for me, the, the they, they remind me of the, again, the people going back here. And Liam, you'll probably appreciate this one. For me, this is the handy side and Stanuk of, um, of the modern era, mate, to be honest. Those two, if anyone saw them play, were absolutely nails together, mate. Honestly, uh, I'm sure Liam, you'll 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 agree with that one. <laughs> yeah, I do. I've always thought that Stanuk was as good as any centre off I've seen at Stoke. Um, 
we didn't have the benefit of seeing him play in the Premier League, but like we did with Shawcross and Hooth and Abdullah, but I think he could have done. He had everything. He had everything in his game. Um, it's it's hard to look past Shawcross and Hooth for a pair of centre-halves, isn't it? I mean, the four you named, it's like the, the Mount Rushmore of centre-halves, isn't it? I mean, they're probably some of them are as big as Mount Rushmore as well. So it's we've been blessed in that that department again sort of going back years and years if you think right back to Dennis Smith and beyond you know we've we've had them in our we've always managed to find a, a really good center off that the crowd love and and can stay there and do a good job for us yeah i mean ben i mean you you would have seen well all four of those play when you did you catch abdullah yeah just at the end um i i started became a fan properly in sort of the 2010-11 season so he was just fading out and Shawcross and Hooth was just starting really um, but in terms of Shawcross and Hooth it's not bad for two slow non-technical aging in whose case injury prone centre-backs is it um, the, they were two excellent Stoke City defenders they they did what they needed to do um, they were they were Tony Pulis players through and through um, and they brought that solidity that Mark Hughes needed in his team because when they weren't there, Stoke suffered big time and it's one of the big reasons why we went down. We lost that stability at the back. Um, but I think if you're talking about Shawcross on his own, I think it's not just what he brought as a footballer, it's what he brought as a man and a captain as well. Um, you know, to be at Stoke for so long, to be there from so young and to do so much with us is amazing, isn't it? You won't get another player like that in a Stokes shirt, I don't think. Um, but Huth was almost just just as good in that respect, but not but not w- with the accolade of being captain. He, he he was probably respected just as much, if if not by his teammates, was certainly respected by the opposition. Um, you know, nobody messed with them too. I think it's easy for centre backs to get bullied these days by. A big striker that doesn't come along very often. Um, people were scared of people like Shawcross and Hooth, and the and the the uh, the recollections of opposition players about the clinking boots. I think Shawcross and Hooth personify that big time. Do you think? I mean, I'd be interested to get anyone's thoughts here. So, Shawcross. I mean, you're you're right about Hooth. I'll, I'll make one comment about Hooth first. Um, I bet he never thought he'd ever win the Premier League after leaving Stoke City. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody did. Um, but in terms of Shawcross, I'd be interested to see if everyone thinks that would Shawcross have been a better player and more international appearances if he would have left Stoke when that interest came in um, yes. during that really good season? Do you think? Yeah, you yeah. must regret that. I don't know, because how lots of players win the Premier League, lots of players play in the Champions League. And don't be wrong, I'm sure he would have loved to have done that. But how many players really become a club legend? And he is that undisputably. Um, he could come back here and he's got the freedom of city. Um, it depends what what it means, you know. He was he was comfortable. He said his family was always comfortable here, um, being well respected, um, well paid as well. Don't forget, in a team that was basically progressing throughout his time here, it was only really when he got injured when Stoke started declining. Um, it was a project, and he was a big part of that. He was he was the captain of the ship of progression, and it's just a shame it tailed off. But I think, you know, rather than just 
earning himself a move. He 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 was part of a team that earned itself such a big development over the course of the ten years that we were in the Premier League. It's a shame he got hung out to dry against Latan. Really wasn't it? I think of all players to go up against, I mean, Christ, it, it makes you wonder if it wouldn't have been that dramatic. And obviously in that same week um, in the Arsenal fans' minds, he'd just broken Ramsey's leg. And it may, just a week, it's just one of them weeks, which was probably one of the worst weeks, but best weeks of his life as well. Um, just, just again, fine margins. And it will, you know, we're not, we're not going to go into the Aaron Ramsey injury, obviously. But um, the one thing that I'll always stand by with that short cross tackle is that there's so many images of, of Ramsey having his leg broken before Shawcross even makes any contact. And I think it was the contact after that Ryan had that that made it worse. But Ramsey broke his leg before Ryan touched him. I think that's one thing that bugs me about the Arsenal fans. If you also watch it back, Nicholas, if you also watch it back, Nicholas Bentley just puts his hand on his shoulder and pulls him as he goes to make that tackle. And nobody, obviously, that's the split second that changes it from a ball-winning tackle to a to something that ends up with that. But like I say we're not here to discuss that. <laughs> Let's move swiftly on. Um, yeah, I I think like you say you can't really move. You can't really see past these two, can you? For this possession, it's. To two absolute sort of giants and two people, like you say, Ryan Shawcross. In 50 years' time, if he went and walked out at half time in a match, he'd still get a standing ovation. Then that is sort of legend will live on with this club for years and generations to come. And like I say, if he'd have moved to somebody else, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have got that, would he? Um, but I think one, one thing I always wanted to say as well was what maturity and sort of risk did he take leaving Man United to join Stoke? You know, when he, he joined us as, as, on his 19th birthday, wasn't it? And obviously he'd had such a great time. He could have gone back to Man United either partway through that season or at the end of that season. And, you know, gone and seen if he could have made it to Old Trafford, but he sort of brought into Stoke straight away, didn't he? And he didn't even try. And he wasn't as if he went... Was found out he wasn't good enough, or Ferguson didn't rate him enough, and then came. He didn't even want to go back and try, did he? And I think as Alex Ferguson did, Alex Ferguson comments a few years later saying that he, like he did, he didn't. We wish he hadn't let him go. Yeah, they yeah, offered him a contract, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, he scored on his debut, which always helps away at Cardiff. Um, yeah. None of us have heard of him, but he walked into the team, big, big, strapping teenage lad playing centre half. Who's this guy? Pops up with the winner. It's promotion season, you know, it, it writes itself, doesn't it? Wasn't winner it away at Cardiff years? as well, of yeah. all places. <laughs> that always helps. Yeah. Wasn't it a few years after it? Literally a year or two. Wasn't that just after when Rio left and uh, United were kind of looking a bit light at the back, and he actually would have probably had a good chance of getting in that United team as well. I swear it was. They've had some pretty duff centre-offs in the time Manchester United that have come through and obviously they've had some really good ones as well, but you can't you can't convince me that Ryan Shawcross isn't as good or better than some of those that came and went and, and probably picked up 25 England caps along the way. Um, you know, your Phil Joneses and even your John O'Shea's who like hung on for a long time. I never would have swapped any of them for Ryan Shawcross. No way. I mean, Andy, you will have seen, obviously, you've seen Ryan play. Do you see much of his Robert Hoof? Yeah, I saw Robert Hoop and Shawcross. They were 
if I had to think of a Stoke defensive partnership at the back, it would be Shawcross and Hooth. If you'd ask anyone who Stoke had as main defenders, it would be Hooth and Shawcross because they were there for the main time we were in the Premier League. And you didn't really see much of Hooth after he left Stoke. Obviously, he played for Leicester and won the league with them. But I can only think of one memory when he left, and that was when he tried to score that free kick against us with Leicester and went out for a throw-in. But other than that, he... He struck fear into strikers, I think, along with Shawcross. And they try down the wings rather than going down the centre in front of them. You know what's weird as well, Andy? I mean, if you think about it, we talk about how good as a defenders they were. When a bit, They were probably the last two central defenders who would actually chip in with a lot of goals as well. Yeah, whenever there was a corner, even if it was probably mm. 90th minute and we're even 3-0 up, they'd probably still get in the box and try and get ahead on it. Put Huth and Shawcross in this team now with Vrancic with those corners, God. mate. mate Which I... Every corner would be going in, I think. <laughs> we think so. I still think we should be scoring more from a corner. We're not again. Oh, we're not here yeah. to discuss that right now, but we should be scoring more from corners anyway. Um, but Bring yeah, I'd Leon love Court. to put them now. Leon Court, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, we said, didn't we? We said before that Eric Peters would have loved to have seen him in a Tony Pulis defence. Well, this team here, we've got Sorensen in goal, Wilkinson, Shawcross, Hooth. He's in he's in there with a pure defence now. <laughs> so I have to uh, wheel him out for a game, see how, see how he does. But yeah, that that is the defence all sorted, locked in. Are we happy with that? Yeah. Happy as well. Let's move then swiftly into centre midfield. So again, we've got, we've got to the final four. Joint third place with Rory Delap and Nick Powell with 10%. And then Glenn Whelan, 24%. And the, our own little Vavavoom, Stephen and Zonzi, 56% of the vote. Now, for me, I, I loved Stephen and Zonzi. And it's funny because, again, it comes back to people sort of not knowing what you've got until it's gone. Uh, there's a lot of Stoke fans who used to criticise him. He was too slow. He didn't run around. There was no effort. And then when he left, he just saw a massive hole of this calmness and just it just on, you know, on the ball how he could just turn attack, uh, turn defense into attack. And he he just never looked rushed in anything he did. He knew exactly what he was going to do, and he, nine times out of ten he carried it out. I think uh, the problem within Zonzi Dan was that he put a transfer request in every season, and I think that <laughs> clouded people's judgments of Zonzi. I think that's probably what it was half the time, mate, to be honest. But I, I agree with you. It's, it's the same argument with Glenn Whelan. Like, as soon as, like, Hughes came in, obviously had a good good couple of years, and then he got rid of the Tony Pulis spine, um, and all of a sudden, again, wheels came off. But Glenn Whelan was just exactly that, wasn't he? He was a no-nonsense midfielder. You could, you basically wouldn't see him during the match. But if you went back and reviewed it, he would be bossing that midfield in front of the defence. So, there's, um, yeah, you spot on, mate. People probably didn't appreciate him as much as they should have done. And I'll put my, my hat into that ring. I wasn't bothered when, it, when he went, and I was wrong. But, you know, again, I think it sounds like I'm one of many. Yeah, you've only got to look at what he did after you left Stoke as well, haven't you? With mm-hmm. you know, Sevilla, Roma, and obviously not as much like Galatasaray and that. But I'd take him back in this midfield now that we, we could do with the numbers. I mean, what did you think of him, Ben? Was he? Were you? Uh, did you appreciate him while he was here? Or? There's the. 
I could just give a two-word analysis and leave it at that. Uh, Rolls Royce. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like if if you if you were to you know give him any tag, it's that he he was just the best all-round midfielder you could argue we've had in about fifty years or so. He's just sensational at pretty much everything. Good in the tackle, albeit maybe some people would label him as a bit lazy. I just think he was uh, efficient, I think is the word he probably would have chosen to have used. He he wasn't the quickest, um, but his his range of passing was excellent. Um, his his Ironically, on the ball, he, he was so patient. Off, off the ball, less so. He had a bit of a temper on him. Um, and what a shot he had as well. He scored a couple of good goals. That goal against Liverpool um, in the 6-1 was an absolute firecracker. Um, oh, yeah. And it, it just shows how much of a good player he was. And you wonder, as we signed Jordan Jakiri in the summer, if we'd have had the BMX up front and Steven Zonzi, we'd have probably got a Europa League spot. I, I always thought at the time, when they sold him to Sevilla for, was it $7 million? I did think... Would you not just maybe keep hold of him and let him go for a free in twelve months? Just do that because if you if we'd have kept him, like you say, if we'd have hit the Europa League, possibly it depends how quickly Shakiri would have settled even higher. You don't, you know, then he, he could turn around and say, "I want to stay." <laughs> you would have done hundred percent. Yeah, because I mean, he, that final know, season, that final season that he was playing for us was, I think, the best he's played. You know, I think he was just, like Ben said, he he just had his game down to a T at that point. He, he was always in the right position. His tackling was spot on. He could just walk through the middle of the pitch. He had a great shot on him. And the guy went on to be part of the World Cup final. And, you know, he's got a World Cup medal. <laughs> How many Stoke City players have, um, you know, in recent times, I don't think there's any since 60s, 70s, whatever, is there? You know, there's... He was special, and um, yeah, there was. There's always people that didn't appreciate him, but well, what can you do? He, he was brilliant. <laughs> so Andy, did you see uh, was Enzonzi in your in your time? Yeah, I think I voted for Enzonzi in the actual poll. Um, like Ben mentioned, that cracker he scored against Liverpool in the six-one. I want to take a hot take here and say that Glenn Whelan was sort of the Tolly Pulis version of Romain Sawyers and Enzonzi was the Mark Hughes version of him. Very calm on the ball. People say he's lazy. When he wants to turn defence into attack and on his day and when he wants to spark, he can do it. And even Romain Sawyers has a good shot on him. Yeah, I can see I can see the um, the links between the two. Like Sawyers so and the same style of play of how they can let the ball sort of roll, you know, sort of open the body up and let the ball roll yeah. past to you know, to go past people on that. And I think you remember this we mentioned with like Zonzi's tackling and that he seemed to have like telescopic legs, didn't they? They just seemed yeah. to he'd, he'd sort of go for the ball, and if he wasn't quite there, he'd sort of just grow a few inches to just oh yeah, <laughs> just nicked it away. But again, he, he again he, a lot of the time he wouldn't he wouldn't sort of nick it. He'd sort of get the ball and bring it back into himself as well. It wasn't as if he was like sliding in and the ball was going out. He'd like win the ball and keep it at his own feet, which again is another sort of you know another act completely. Um, but yeah, Glenn Whelan, just like a water carrier, and he just he mops up everything else and lets like I'll I'll do all the hard work and the dirty work and just give it to the people who can play. 
no offence, Glenn. But <laughs> 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 um, Glenn Whelan gave me one of my one of the best uh, mentals in recent times, didn't he? At Aston Villa. Yeah, sure cross and it was at the 87th, 88th minute, and then last minute equaliser. I mean that that sort of that point just seemed to turn it seemed like the belief that we'd gone because Aston Villa were like top four at the time. And we'd sort of been outplayed for like 80 minutes. So it sat there anyway, like, yeah, this is just another team who were just a bit too good for us on their own patch at the minute. And then all of a sudden it was like bang bang and that that seemed to give them the that seemed to sort of charge them the rest of the season of racking up these wins that eventually sort of pulled us well away from the bottom three and into a comfortable mid table by the time make all around. Right. So we're all happy then. We're happy with Wheel and we're happy with Nzonzi. Good choices. Yep. I'm just well, glad Bojan's not in there, mate. That's all. He's not centre mid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is, this is a long-running joke, by the way, so just, just don't worry. <laughs> Paul Rory only getting 10%, but I'm sure those uh, will bring him on for the throw-ins, like NFL style. <laughs> he was more than a throw-in, but we'll move on. <laughs> uh, so, right wing. So, Kevin Keane made the final. I was happy. 2% of the vote. Jermaine Pennant, 6%. The final two, Liam Lawrence and Zidane Shakiri, 44% and 48%. The winner was Shakiri. Just picked a little Liam. So yeah. now we're getting getting some uh, Hughes flair into the side now, aren't we? I agree with the top two places. Um, Jermaine Pennant could have been so good. And he was good in large parts, wasn't he? Um he made some stupid decisions toward the end of his Stoke career. I mean, that, I remember the penalty he gave away uh, late on in one of the games. Just absolutely ridiculous decision. Uh, I remember, though, that the one thing that sticks in my mind was um, I remember Pennant getting bombed out. We were I can't remember, it was away to Everton. Um, and they were obviously all the players were meant to be in the, the hotel rooms. And Pennant goes and steals a fire extinguisher um, and, thro- and throws it at the manager. I mean, you don't obviously go and do that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's one way of getting yourself out of the club. And I can't believe that they made up after that. Um, that Pulis in him, again, you don't cross Pulis, do you? Um, but I remember that story coming out, and he, he didn't play the following day. Um, but he th- threw really? a fire extinguisher. <laughs> yeah, he threw a fire extinguisher. <laughs> I, I'm, hoping that's, I'm hoping that's common knowledge. <laughs> I'm just appreciate. I've just, I've just kind of said that. But, yeah, that that's I, what basically happened. I think the unfortunate thing with... With Jermaine Pennant was he just seemed right the way through his career have this self-destruct mode that every time something was going well for him he would just throw his, you know, his own little grenade in there and and that'd be it he'd be out of the side and moved moved on somewhere else. Um, like I say, I think as crossing wise guy, I don't think I've seen a better. I mean, Liam Lawrence was good and accurate with his crosses, but Jermaine Pennant could literally find. You know, a 5p coin from 50 yards away, couldn't he? He was, he, he as some of the balls. I mean, if we got a free kick anywhere from the halfway line in, we could, we knew we knew we could send everybody into the box and he would put a good delivery in from anywhere inside, you know, inside our own half. And that's when, when we had the team that we did have, with the height and that within there, it was worth, you know, eight, 10 goals a season just for them. It's interesting as well, Dan, because they were very different type of right wingers as well. Like, if you think about Shakiri, 
and I, I could be just wrong enough memory here, but Shakiri was never a player who would get to the byline and cross the ball in, was he? He was never well, he that footy, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, even then, though, he wouldn't just cut back on his left and, and cross the ball. He would do, he, he'd just find gaps and ways of breaking through the defence from, mm. from, from the wing. I mean, Lawrence, again, he was more of a, probably an out-and-out out crosser, I would say. But, again, his he loved to kind of cut inside. And the amount of goals that he scored, and I know penalties were involved, but they were all very different types of right winger, weren't they? I think the thing with Lawrence as well is, Lawrence scored a lot of vital goals. He was he was the kind of player who if you need if you were yeah you know, if it was one all in a must win game eighty eight minutes Liam Lawrence would be the one yeah you know, you'd want giving the ball twenty yards out and you know you know find the back of the net um you just look at some of the you know the goal against Coventry that we were talking about last week you know, on the pod mm. yeah you know, that vital goal there yeah you know, the the goal against Hull that really secured us staying up the first season in the Premier League you, you forget that he you know he scored a pressure penalty against Villa. That, that first home game, um, yeah, we were he put us in the lead in that game, didn't he? And then obviously he also set up Rick for what I think is one of the most undervalued Premier League goals of all time. If Dennis Bergkamp scores that goal, it's you know it's uh, still talked about today. But like I say it was his pass. He sort of uh, and rolled it to him, didn't he? And he sort of just put it perfectly for Rick to to do his magic there. But they them two linked up so well, and I mean he scored 15 goals. Liam Lawrence said the season we got promoted, yeah. And um, but yeah, he's, like I say, Shakiri, he was a different player, but we were set up a different way then, weren't we? We weren't set up for balls into the box. We were set up sort of playing, playing people in, you know, keeping the ball and knocking it. Those front three, and obviously Emar Nautovic and whoever it was playing through the middle at the time, because we obviously have various people. Uh, but yeah, I think Shakiri maybe with a recency bias has just edged this poll for him. But I think yeah. What do you think, Ben? Would you have gone Shaq or, or Liam? I didn't see much of Liam Lawrence really. Um, it was sort of Jermaine Pennant who was coming into his own at that point for me. Um, but I I know what Liam Lawrence brought to Stoke, and I know how important he was in that period. So understandably, again, just just in there by association if 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 nothing else um but he was an excellent footballer too um i think i've referred to him before as like a stoke city action man you know what i mean he he, he just did everything um shakiri is is possibly one of the biggest marquee signings we've ever had um yes i know we've had some quality players over the years but who thought that we'd be signing you know perhaps it perhaps the biggest step down that a player's made um maybe bojan aside um Shakiri was 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 just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal in his own way. I just think back to Stoke Alona and that game where we beat Man City, and Shakiri, if he did that every week, he he would be in one of the best teams in the world consistently. Um, he he was a genius. Um, perhaps wasn't built to be a footballer. I think you could argue. Um, Perhaps more built to be a powerlifter, to be honest with you. Or an but, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, but now nah, he was absolutely cracking. No, no wonder why. Um, he played an important part when we were good and when we were bad. Actually, I think a lot of people remember him for being one of the best players as we got relegated. And I think nobody really, well, very few people saw it as his fault. Um, and I think people saw it as as fair that he left and. 
left for Liverpool and won the Champions League. So again, that sort of tells you what sort of player he is. Yeah, I think he, um, like I say, he's, he left to Liverpool. And again, he, he didn't have a bad time at Liverpool, did he? I mean, he's, he's going to be struggled to, he's going to struggle to oust sort of Salah, Mane out the team in the last few years. But I think Klopp tried a few different formations to try and get him in there with them, didn't he? So he sort of, you know, understood the talent that that he was giving to the team. And I think that he scored a few vital goals for them. Um, but yeah, like you say, he's, he played for Bayern Munich, played for Inter Milan. You know, Champions League winner, and then he just rocks up at Stoke. And I met the same as you, Ben, when he when he sort of that signing was announced. I'm like, no, I can't be true. Yeah. <laughs> it did take him ages and year. ages to score a goal as well. I think his first goal was that tapping against Everton in that four three game, and then he scored two in the same game. They're like buses, weren't they? And that Is second that... goal. Sorry, was, no, well, that four was it a shot or a cross? That's the question. That second goal was ridiculous. <laughs> that... well, but, but what was it? Oh, it's a shot. There's nobody's crossing too. It's a shot. Nah, it's a cross. It's Shakira. It's a cross for me. I think it's it's crossing for an out of it. We know what his vision was like. He saw the the early run into the box. It's a cross for me. So me and Ben are going cross. Liam, did you say shot? I'm saying shot. Andy? I'm saying shot. Oh, 2-2. Come on, Dan. You're the signing vote here, mate. 100% a shot. Well, Charlie Adam said it's a cross, so... Well, Charlie... Well... We're not talking about <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Adams will be on, on this team. <laughs> uh, um, but, um, yeah, that just, uh, for me, it was it was a shot. And like you say about his vision, it was that vision of, like you say, he'd scored the tapping and then it was just, you know, like his, his confidence has all of a sudden come. He's seen the balls come across and he's just sensational goal. <laughs> Again, another one that doesn't really get talked about, I don't think, enough in um, on the widest side of things, Premier League goals. Um, but yeah, like I say, Shakiri, Lawrence, we're sort of split down the middle, are we, on on who's, who's, uh, we think should have got the nod? I've always yeah. had a soft spot for both, both Lawrence and um, Pennant, in a way, because under those two... Tony Pulis teams, other than Ricardo Fuller, we, we didn't have luxury players. We weren't allowed a player that wouldn't track back or <laughs> put a shift in. So the fact that we had two wingers, I mean, like, I mean, Pennant was basically his right-sided Everington in the end, where he'd found someone who could get up the pitch, put in a good cross, maybe even beat a man or score a goal, but you could trust him to do a job and track back and help out in defence. And we... We never had, we didn't have that many wingers that would do those Tony Pulis jobs, but they both bought into it. And like you said, his his contributions, Liam Lawrence, I'm talking about, his contributions in the promotion season, his goals and his assists, just yeah, the guy's the guy's a club legend, isn't he? Um, but but I do I do fully agree that Shakiri is uh, rightfully in the team. Well, so and shout out to uh, shout out to Kevin Keane as well, just because uh, yeah. <laughs> representing sort of the the nineties and the Victoria <laughs> Ground and things like that. So shout out to him. I just just Mamjuk as well, I think actually, who also played right wing. <laughs> it's Mamjuk. We could have had a team of Mamjuk here. That's why he played everything. Oh, he played in goal last week. He played in goal <laughs> in, in Turkey recently. <laughs> so we can make a team of Mamjuk then. Let's do that. We all want a team of Mamjuks. <laughs> So if we move over to the left side, and it's funny you should say about Pulis and Flair players and the kind of wingers he liked, 
because fourth in the final four was Richard Creswell of 1%, whose main job as a winger was not to cross the ball, not to do anything, but to get on the end of Leon Lawrence's crosses from the other wing. Mate, Richard Creswell, how the hell did he even get in the last four? Do you know what I think it is? It's all Ben well, just shaking his head, and I agree with you, Ben. <laughs> I think we've not really had that many left wingers because we've got like, Edrington, who was there for a long time. Arnautovic was there for quite a while. So I don't think there was much choice. And then, so we've got Hoekstra, who got 13%, Edrington, 23%, and the spot went to Arnie with 63% of the vote. Now, this for me, this was the, I love. No offence to Richard Creswell, but, but I love the other three in there. I loved Peter Hoekstra when I was younger. He was absolute god when I was younger, like when I was at school and that. And you know the tricks, the the ability on the ball. I still I still struggle to find many Stoke players since then who as much ability with the ball at the feet as Peter Hoekstra for Stoke. You know, there's no way he should have been playing Division Two football. <laughs> no. If way. He, if, if he wasn't, you know, so injury prone, he'd have been, you know, Premier League easily. Well, in fact, we signed him from Ajax. He played, you know, for Holland at Euro '96, didn't he? And it just shows, you know, just how good he was. And Matty Edrington, what a player he was, you know. Again, absolutely adored Matty Edrington. Love that kind of winger, you know, just head down, get to the byline, put the ball across. And I think his signing was sort of. Him and Beattie were pivotal, weren't they, to us staying up? It just gave us that bit of that extra bit of quality in the final third, that first season in the Premier League. Um, <laughs> I remember with Edrington as well. Like he's he's um, played Sunderland, didn't we? This is his second game, and he's just absolutely just kicked Danny Collins off the ball, sent him flying in the air, got sent off. And I was thinking, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> and there, but obviously he's. That didn't uh, people forgive him for that, and he come back and and so did Danny Collins when we signed him later on as well. But yeah, he's uh, I think we got three there modern day sort of players who high in a lot of Stoke fans in minds there. Yeah. How about you? How many of them did you get to see, Andy? I could see Everington and towards the end. Obviously, but Arnie, when we're in the Prem, like I've said, that's mostly when I've seen Stoke play and he lives mainly in the memory with me. You've got that trio of Arnautovic, Bojan and Shakiri. Those three, when we were, I think we were playing 4-5-1 maybe, and you'd have those playing in the middle. It was probably like Ben said, Stoke Alona type playing. You had players who'd been in Champions League games who played Champions League football and then, for some reason, they've decided, you know what, we'll go to Stoke and try and do something with them. We got they got fifth in a season with us, not fifth, ninth. That's what I was on about. But then, obviously, Anatovic left, Shakiri left, Bojan left. Well, Bojan didn't leave until Championship, did he? And then, once you lost those two main wingers, you'd really lost the threat we had going down the wings. Would you argue though that? So this, see, for me, I agree with you, Dan. This was the, one of the hardest categories, uh, sorry, areas rather the pitch to, to focus on. Would you not agree, though, that Matty Edmonton was a more consistent player than Anatovic was? Arnie was great in spells, I thought. He played four or five great games and go missing for four or five. Whereas for me, Matty Edmonton 
seemed to be more the more consistent player. That's how I remember him anyway. Yeah, from I what think I was... when oh, sorry, I was gonna say when Arnautovic first joined, I think that may well have been the case. The first maybe twelve, eighteen months, you know, you you'd see as many off days as you were good days, but those last two seasons, I think he was far and away our best player. And I think maybe if we like moved him down the middle. Yeah. Oh, like West Ham did, yeah. There was just yeah. that one pre-season where like he came back and he was just this like unit of a man. Like he'd he'd sort of Cristiano Ronaldo in himself, where he just completely bulked up. And then there were games where he was especially if he had a bit of a, you know temper or a carb on about something where he was just unplayable and like he was he would just keep going until he scored just so he could go and like shout at the linesman or the the opposition <laughs> fans and or even the Stoke fans probably sometimes he just uh, on his day he was unplayable and we you know we say that about other players sometimes you know the sort of Kenvin Jones effect I guess where on their day they're just unstoppable and he was one of those um you're right Dan this Peter Hoekstra was my, one of my favourites as a kid as well and just a magician with the ball at his feet you know for a guy who had like no pace he could just beat players and leave them sort of facing the opposite direction and not knowing where they are and you know um, Everington again he was yeah he was he was pure as he's so I think uh, was it Peter, Peter Crouch said that he was he was his pet um, Matty yeah. Everington in training he would like he could do whatever he wanted and Get a um, coat on, sit down. You don't need drinks, do they? But yeah, I think it's funny as well. There's yet another one who are, the fans sometimes got on the back of Arnautovic, didn't they? And again, he's been overwhelmingly voted in against two real, you know, other good Stoke, you know, good Stoke players there. Yet when he was here, there was a lot of people who would be. You know, especially you hear it in the terraces when you when you sat there, you hear people shouting at him, "Oh, you're lazy, this, you're late." And I think yeah, <laughs> he wasn't lazy, but how much do you think? Because Eric Peters did all the defending in that relationship, and Arnautovic did all the attacking. Peters didn't need Arnautovic helping him back there, and Arnautovic didn't need Peters going forward with him, did he? So. <laughs> I mean, fans really you... like a player who doesn't shrug his shoulders because I think Stephen and Zonzi, Ricardo Fuller, um, Marco Anatovic, they'd stop and they'd wave their arms up in the air or they'd shrug and then like that would get people saying, oh, I get running back. Whereas, you know, if other players, let's use Creswell as an example because he's in there, he'll sort of trot back. He won't make any real effort to get back maybe, but because he looks like he's making the effort to get back, it's like, okay, you know, he's one of ours. We like him. <laughs> and uh, we, we don't He's like the, the theatrics necessarily. We're still like that, though, aren't we? I, yeah, yeah. Very much, mate. I, yeah. I think it, it may be like the, just the area. Like, I've been work all week. You need to put the bloody efforts in here. <laughs> um, I think I always thought with, like, with players like that, I remember John Walters was one. John Walters would, he would run and run and run all day for you. And I remember when he was on the wing, so many times he'd run back, but when he actually got there, he didn't. It wasn't <laughs> always the greatest at actually tackling somebody, or he'd sort of just run into people and get fouls away. And I'm like, yeah, you just, you've, you've sprinted forty yards back there to to just run into someone and give a free kick away. <laughs> but obviously, and then everyone go, oh ref, that's your ref. What are you doing? I was like, yeah, but he's put the effort in, so he can't say anything. <laughs> 
But yeah, I mean, how's this for a midfield then? Shakiri on out of it on one side and Zonzi and Whelan in the middle. We're happy. We're happy with them. Yeah. There's only two spots to go now. So this is where I've got a little treat. So I spoke to somebody last night and this I got a, a comment that I've been told to read out to you. So he says. Stoke City fans are second to none. Absolutely brilliant during my time, and even now the love and support has always been legendary. For that, I must say a huge thank you to all the fans for that and the kindness and support also. Stoke City is my home away from home. God's blessings to you all. So who has sent that? Is it Mamjuve? (laughs) Ricardo Fuller. Yes. So that is his. Uh, that's his message to all you people who voted him in up front. So he's up front. I'm just going to say, I'll tell you now that in the final four, Peter Thorne got six percent, John Walters got twelve. So it's Peter Crouch partnering Ricardo Fuller. He got twenty-one percent, and Rick got sixty-one percent of the vote. Nice. So, yeah, Rick and Crouch, a partnership, unfortunately, we didn't see too often, did we? They just crossed over, but it would have been there. If it had been a couple of years earlier, it would have been nice, very nice. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, Dan, that was that was the most difficult section to, to vote in there. Um, I love Rick for what he could do. He was explosive. Um, I, I loved watching him. So many goals you could call upon for Rick to just just an amazing player. But I think I went for Crouchy in the end. Um, and for me, he was the best Premier League striker we've had at this club. Um, I think partly swayed by the fact that I was at the game versus Man City. And I was right behind that game, uh, that goal as it looped over uh, Joe Hart. And I'll never see a goal as good as that in person again. Um, and I, know, I think, Dan, you said many pods ago that you didn't actually go to that game, I don't think. I could be wrong, and I'm sorry if I am. Um, no, it was my daughter's birthday party, so I was forbidden from going. Ah. And um, I said, you know, the TV was on in the corner of the room, and the it was like the late game, wasn't it? In the afternoon, it was like 5.30 kickoff. Mm. Um, but it was on, it was in wherever, Satanta or wherever it was at the time, which I didn't have. So I sort of had like the end of soccer Saturday on, and somewhat, and then you saw the person watching it going up, like, say, oh, I was like, I could just look it over, and you were, come up like you know stick to one crouch and how how mad he was going i thought god this is good god (laughs) and then yeah i watched it oh fancy missing that one game i missed all season (laughs) it was one of those moments and i'm not sure i mean liam you maybe maybe you were there and andy i'm sure you probably were as well but uh it was one of them moments where the hair stand up on, on the back of your neck and uh, you know, the Stoke fans in unison doing the Poznan in front of the Man City fans. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate, but that was just, it was like you were in a dream. And that crouch goal, it was in slow motion. It was hard to explain, but it was it, it was just surreal to see such a goal. And, I mean, the best goal I think I'd seen up to that in person was um, Fuller's, actually. I think it was against Birmingham, where he's run the length of the pitch, cut in and and you know, curved it in with his weaker left foot. And um, but Crouchy for me, you know, it wasn't just that goal. He scored f- for fun. Um, he was always an absolute top professional. 
who would never ever slag the club off. No, I'm not saying Rick did because Rick didn't. Um, but you know, he would never ever bring the club into distribute, would he? He was just a top top professional. He was. Um, he was like our first real marquee signing that world-renowned you know the guy who's been on pringles adverts in brazil you know people everywhere know <laughs> peter crouch and i you know i've worked a lot in different countries for my job and when i told told them i was a stoke city fan they all knew who peter crouch was. the two things they knew were peter crouch and the throwing those were the two things that people would bring <laughs> up um, sort of just before um you know stoke alone or whatever and he gave us that like global presence in a way just because oh peter crouch plays for you and you know we really helped us a lot i think you know we've had a few signings that have just allowed us to then go on and sign other players because of that you know munyasa and bojan started a trend and i think peter crouch kind of gave us a bit of street cred when we probably needed it under pulis yeah i think he uh he sort of took over from gordon banks didn't he abroad it's a, if you're a Stoke fan before, it's like, ah, Gordon Banks. That's what I always get when you're like, like Spain, Greece, play something on holiday. That's, that's the name that came straight back to you, like, if you said he was Stoke City. And uh, like I say, then it all of a sudden became, ah, Peter Crouch. So, yeah, he, he did sort of, let's say, put us on a map in a big view. I wonder just how much that maybe played in, in the following, the signings that followed in years to come. You know, had he sort of, you know, put Stoke and made Stoke a known name out on the continent, maybe. Would you have uh, picked those two, Ben? Crouch and uh, Rick? <sighs> Believe it or not, I wouldn't have had any of them. Um, yeah, wow. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> um, I I like a hybrid striker. Um, and I feel like that they were neither. Um, so... They, I wouldn't have necessarily picked these. I'm just going to reel off. But I, I like players like Kenwin Jones. I like players like Mamjouf. I like players like Stephen Fletcher. You know, who who can do a little bit of everything to some extent. You know, had a bit of flair about them if they needed it. Well, not not in all cases, but maybe had a bit of pace and a bit of flair and and a good finish and good in the air, could hold the ball up. You know, they didn't all have all of those attributes. But but I like a striker that isn't just one dimensional. Um, and Sounds me, like you're describing Ricardo Fuller to me. I was going to say, well, maybe so. <laughs> you, you could potentially say that, but I did miss out on Ricardo Fuller big time. Um, I, I've only ever seen him play literally perhaps half a dozen times. Um, for me, it's John Walters. I'd have had in there straight away. Um, I'm really disappointed that he didn't make it in. I, I thought he personified everything that Stoke City is about. You know, a guy that made over 100 starts in a row. For Stoke, that's you know, regardless of form, regardless of injury status, you know he would be in that team, and we missed him when he went to Burnley. Um, Burnley didn't get anything from him; he was injured as soon as he got there. Um, but it it's a shame. And for me, he he had the moments of brilliance. Um, he could hold the ball up well. He he had the versatility; he could play on the wing. Um, but it was his effort and his love for the club for me. And yeah, out of our John Walters in over. Yeah, I'd have had him in over Crouch and Fuller any day. Who would you pair him with? Um, it's a difficult question because again, like I, I really did like Crouchy, um, but no, I thought that he was his his reputation became so much of a Plan B striker for me that it was, um, 
I I found him frustrating to have in the team towards the last two or three years of his time at Stoke. Um, so there's that negative kind of there's that negative connotation I have with him. I really did like Kenwin Jones. Um, I'm not saying I'd have had him in there, but I really did like that kind of striker. You know what? Maybe because I don't think it's like we we have many prolific goal scorers. Um, uh, maybe I'd go for a modern day player. Maybe Fletcher. Maybe Campbell. Um, Campbell is is I I think again one of those that if you ask in twelve months time and he's still here, oh he's 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 going to be an excellent forward. And I know there's doubts about him now and maybe whether it's his fitness or whatever. But once he gets going again, he will be an excellent player. I hope he stays with us. Um, I hope that we do well enough to be able to warrant to keep him and not let him go to a Premier League team because he will end up there eventually, whether it's with us or otherwise. Um, yeah, I it, I don't know. I, I'd perhaps have gone for a 4-5-1 or something, personally, and had the lone striker because Walters could have... And, and often did do it on his own. And, and you know what? I'd probably say that not, none of those other players could have played up on, up front on their own. Maybe a stretch, probably Crouch, but that's only if you've got a couple of attacking midfielders right behind him. But otherwise, yeah, I agree with you on the Walters front, mate. He he could lead the line. And he was he was just, again, a good, we talked about Wilco, as, as you rather put out. You know, we talked about Wilco being bit of a hard nut and would never give up that was johnny walters wasn't it so yeah I, I i get your reasoning behind it mate it's absolutely a fair reason um everyone wants something different from their strikers i mean like i say i, I would have had crouch over fuller any day but i love fuller so it, it's personal preference it you is have, like, i might have had bojan in there mike you would have had bojan in there maybe <laughs> Perhaps we're all a little bit too young for someone like Mark Steen. <laughs> oh, God. About you, will come up one day. <laughs> Andy, did you see him? Um, obviously, I think you would probably missed out on Rick, did you? Yeah, like with Ben, I only saw him a handful of times. But when I did see him play, he was good. The two main strikers which come to mind were Peter Crouch and Jonathan Walters. If you put those two up front together, as you saw when they did play together, Walters, as he wasn't the quickest of strikers, but he could make runs in behind. And both of them were good aerial ability. But like you said, Mike, you need attacking midfielders with them. Because if they, like for example with Crouchy, if he's playing alone by himself, he's, he's not the quickest by a mile. But he needs someone behind him that if he can't get to a header or make the run, that attacking midfielder can get there. Yeah, but I think I think uh, what we do need to do before we sign off with the uh, the strikers here is just give a quick mention to Peter Thorne there with his six percent of the vote, eighty goals, top goal scorer in the last forty five years for the club. Yeah, hundred percent, thousand percent, mate. I've, I mean, Liam, you know, again, Icelandic, mate. You know exactly where I'm going with this, but um, for me, the most prolific goal scorer Stoke have ever had, bar. I mean, and I say ever is probably a bit of a stretch because I, I'm not old enough to remember really far back. But um, there's not been a more prolific goal scorer since Thorn. No way. He was, he, he was he was your penalty box striker, wasn't he? he? Oh yeah. He was your penalty box striker. You know, just play, just over around six, twelve yards out, put the ball in the right place, and he'll 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 just find the net one way or another. He'll just put it in the back of the net, yeah. and 
I mean, Liam, you, you've obviously, with the work that you've done, uh, looked into a lot of like, Thorne's good work there, haven't you? Yeah, he's, I think he's probably still like our last prolific goal scorer because even the ones with, you know, Ricardo Fuller was never that prolific. You know, Peter Crouch never scored 15, 20 goals in a season. And But Thorne, I know it was at a different level, of course, but, you know, we can only go on what we saw. And yeah, back post headers, just was heartbroken when he left for Cardiff. Scoring the winner at Wembley, the old Wembley, 2000. Just, wow, what a guy. Yeah, and I mean, I've, I've said this before, and I want to say it again just because I, um, I loved the moment. And I think, Ben, when I was on, on the YYY Files, mate, I brought this up, and you asked me you know, what got me into Stoke. And it was moments like this. So, you, you know, you bring Liam, you bring up the, um, you know, the Wembley side of things and all that. I mean, as a kid growing up, I went to Wembley. I was stood right next to the steps at the final against Bristol City and he's walking up the step and I've got my scarf and I've literally he's walking walking up and I've gone around that can I give him my can I give him a scarf and the guy was like are you sure you want to give this away to me I was like you know yeah put it around his neck um and and honestly you know he was he was a really nice guy the next day it's him and Cav in the um in the paper with my scarf around his neck holding the windscreen final which was the biggest trophy I've ever seen in my life um and for me, that moment is probably kind of making my choice probably a bit biased there. But um, yeah, for me, it's it's moments like that as a kid that that grab you. Um, and my son's just about to to get into football now. He's asking for FIFA this year, bloody fifty quid a bloody time, robbing swines. Um, but anyway, yeah, he's asking for FIFA, so he's getting into it. But it makes me wonder about like our kids and what what will be that moment for them. Be interesting. We need to ask him in thirty years' time what was the moment for you. So if we're all coming, if we're all committing to coming back in thirty years to do this part. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, Liam, Liam's up for it, Andy. Yeah, Ben's we'd have a, we'd have a bit more old knowledge then. Let's <laughs> <laughs> hope the stock have unfolded by that point. The, the polls might might take a few more rounds in thirty years' time. Team of the century. Yeah. But well done. Sorry, I might be jumping ahead here, mate. But did we have a, a manager um, choice? We did to manage was, this team. So what I found was that there's only been four state managers this century who weren't sacked or quit within a year. <laughs> so, so I thought we'll just put them in. We'll just we'll ignore your quitrels. We'll ignore you know your Gary Rowett. We'll ignore your Paul Lambert. Um, so the final four were good. John Thorderson. Got just two percent of the vote. Unfortunately, oh. I thought that was a bit harsh. But uh, Michael O'Neill got thirteen percent. Mark Hughes got nineteen percent, which means Tony Pulis is the manager of this team with sixty-six percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if he, as long as as long as he likes Arnautovic and Shakiri, I think most most of the rest of them are his players. And probably very quickly. I'm sorry. I'm, I love going off a tangent. I do. Sorry. Um, so. I just want very, very quickly, you don't have to give me any reasons for it, just each person who is the best Stoke City manager we've had, I'm going to put my name on the, and go say Pulis with that shadow of a doubt. Yeah, Pulis. Yeah, I think for what he's achieved, you sort of have to say Pulis, but they all did different, they had different jobs to do, didn't they? And that you, you, like, obviously Pulis's job was to get us up, stabilise us, but I think he wouldn't have took us on to the level that Hughes, had, Hughes did. But at the same time, I don't think 
Hughes would have done the job Pulis did from the championship to there. Yeah, Ben's having real problems with this one, aren't you, mate? I can see Uh, you really going back and forward in your mind. I think Hughes, had he not been approached by Everton, and I think that that was his downfall, um, I think he would have probably got his European football eventually. Do you you like me very, very quickly then, based on that? So, do you also think that he would have had enough points when when he got sacked? Could he have kept us up that season? Yeah, probably, because Paul Lambert was dog, wasn't he? Um, So, (laughs) I mean, what do we need? Three points? We need another win? Three points in the end, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, as as much as I really dislike Marcus towards the end, I mean, really, it was time for him to go 12 months before he did go. Um, I he 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 did something wonderful with Stoke. He 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 that 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 reputation of us being dirty and long ball and all that went out the window relatively quickly. Two three years, it's a lot to turn around a reputation. You think that Stoke alone was an actual thing. Um, as much as Pulis worked wonderfully with what he had, Mark Hughes was able to put his own stamp on Stoke, albeit for a relatively short amount of time. Um. I'm going to go with Hughes. Okay. But, enough, but, but, but in fairness, Pulis did what matters to football fans at the end of the day, and that's winning stuff, you know, and, and he and he got us to, you know, he got us promotion, he got us to cup finals, and he got us to European football. And, yeah, he so Mark Hughes probably got there eventually, but, it, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Do you pick the moments or do you pick the project? I say he also did frustrate the life out of me for a full season of binary football. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. He was. I think that just showed his stubborn side, didn't it? When he was uh, upset with the board, he was he was quite willing to dig in, dig his heels in for what a good six months of the season. Um, but yeah, like I say, two that I said before, two different managers for two different roles at the time, weren't they? And, and the same with Hughes. It's funny because his career has sort of taken that path quite often. I mean, didn't he follow Allardyce in at Blackburn? Mm. And didn't he follow, was it Hodgson he followed at Fulham? Yeah. So he has gone. He's gone like, there's been defensive managers. I think, wasn't it Stuart Pearce at Man City as well, who had got them conceding like next to no goals and then he took over from them. So he's sort of always followed in someone who set the defence up, set them up solidly. He's gone in, added, added the attacking flair. And it's only when two, three, three, four years down the line, when the defensive starts, he has to sort of put his own input into that, that it sort of unravels a little bit, maybe. Um, but yeah, he's, like I say, he's, he's done well in a lot of clubs initially when he's gone in. And he did, he did very well for Stoke. And the side that we've picked here is very much a hybrid of. Hughes and Pulis, isn't it? So somewhere between them, there's a sweet spot where we would be Leicester City or someone like that, isn't there? But we we, we can never get there, unfortunately. <laughs> so so uh, we'll, we'll go for Pulis as the main manager and Hughes as the assistant manager. Is that what, is that what we're saying? Pulis as oh, defence <laughs> coach and yes, Hughes as attacking coach. They could be like um, the Cowley brothers. <laughs> that works out well as well. Roy, Roy Evans and Gerard Houllier back in the day. <laughs> I didn't go too well either. I mean, Andy, did you? I mean, you would have seen a lot of Mark Hughes and so just the end of Tony Pulis, was it? Yeah, I saw the last couple of years of Tony Pulis, but 
obviously he got his the FA Cup final, he got us into European football, and that lives in the fond of the memory with me. Um, obviously, everybody wanted to go to Wembley for that FA Cup final against Man City. Luckily, I didn't get a chance to, unluckily. I watched it on um, ESPN when you could buy that for, like, the day. Um, I also watched the semi-final 5-0 beating against Bolton. And yeah. t- like we've said, if you have the defensive of Tony Pulis and the attacking of Mark Hughes with the squad we've got, I think it, it would st- I, I think it'd stand pretty decent in, even in the Premier League now. Not with, like, when we have the prime of those players, put them all together. I think it's sorted. I'd, li- I'd like to see them on the touchline having, having a discussion about oh. what our now Twitch and Shaqiri are supposed to be doing. I think they'd be gra- I think they'd grab <laughs> each other by the throats at that point with disagreements. He's not coming back. He's coming back. He's not. <laughs> Get Creswell on. What? Next. What you did? What? What are you saying? What are you sending Wilkinson? Hughes getting back? <laughs> Starts asking Arnautovic to play centre back. <laughs> Go on, John. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think what we can say there is we've got two, we've got two really good managers from two really memorable eras in recent times there in Hughes and, and Pulis and hopefully the third one on that poll there is uh, O'Neill that he can sort of you know got one still to come there haven't we hopefully I think he's done a grand job so far I think people mm-hmm. again <laughs> people if he left the club today again in a few weeks time people would be you know upset and and wonder you know what we what we let go here because he the, what he's turned around from the shambles that this squad was he inherited, you know, you think what we were like under Nathan Jones, bottom of the league, you've got about 20 players out on loan who don't want to be at the club, and he's come, he's got, you know, he's streamlined all that, he's, he's turned the dressing you know, such a more toxic dressing room it was, towards you know, the year, the season we got relegated under Rowett and under, under Jones, none of them could sort that dressing room out and he came in and it's sort of it's as if he did it instantly. He just seems to just click. And you just, you know, hopefully in time, he's given the time and then the fans stay patient with him because I'm sure the owners will. Because I think he's definitely the man that, we, that we've that got in charge here. He'll be the one gets promoted. Whether it's not whether it's this season, next season, we, we will, he will be the one to get us up. What do you think, Liam? Do you agree with that? Yeah, again, I think, the way that our club works is he's the best manager for what we are willing to try because we're not going to go down the road of appointing somebody from the second division in Germany or France or anything like that. Or I mean, we, we went down the road of Jones of trying a younger manager and it didn't work. So that's probably scarred that kind of approach as well and so we've got a manager in that okay he had no experience in English football but he'd obviously done a great job for Northern Ireland he's he's very much um, sure of what he wants to do and how he's going to do it and he's going to get the respect of the players and the kind of players he wants to bring into the club so for who we are and what we want to do I think he's the the man for the job yeah Perfect. Good. I couldn't, couldn't agree more with you. To be honest with you, Liam, I think we we need to we need to give him time. And I'm I'm not going to go into too much on 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 Eel from my side. I think I've got something kind of coming up in the next section that I think we'll uh, we'll kind of cover off with with, with him. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, couldn't agree more, mate.
Yeah, I mean, obviously, just one little just a little mention here for good John as well. I mean, promotion. He only won something, won more than one thing, didn't he? On the auto windscreens as well. Um, and then got sat the day after. <laughs> so, uh, harsh decision. You agree? I, I know you agree with that, Liam. You didn't think he uh, should have been let, given at least one season in the championship. Yeah, he'd, he'd earned his, um, he earned a right to have a go at it. Um, the players, all the players that I spoke to for the book were very much in support of him. I read Peter Thorne did an interview with Duck Magazine, I think, and Thorny compared him to sort of a, a modern equivalent would be sort of a Jurgen Klopp type, where very much an arm round you, but he could blow up at you as well. And the stories of you know, sort of Fergie-esque stories of boots flying across dressing rooms and demanding players walk home after matches and you know, <laughs> go and run around the stadium at 12 o'clock at night. Um, so he had a very disciplinarian side to him as well. Um, I would have liked to have seen him given a chance. Um, I guess he didn't really go on to do anything after Stoke, at least domestically. He managed a couple of clubs in the lower league. So, But, you know, Stoke was... we. We set it up for him here, didn't we? He well, he set it up for himself in a way. He brought the people in and said, "Like, let's do this project." And he wasn't given the extra time, at least, to uh, to see it through to what they inevitably wanted. And and they made a few more mistakes along the way. The only one they got right was the one that they ended up sacking as well. So um, <laughs> it was, a, yeah. I don't need to go into all that again, of course. <laughs> Uh, well, that man that they brought in then sacked, and then obviously Coates he brought back. He's the manager for our team, Tony Pulis. So that sort of rounds off this section. So are we all, yeah, I think we're all quite happy. That'd be a nice, steady Premier League side there, definitely. So there we go, Stokies, um, the end of your team of the century. Uh, so the second part of this pod, uh, which has a number of different kind of topics and kind of discussions, um, will be returning on Thursday at 7am. So please make sure you check it out. Um, and thank you very much if you've listened all the way to the end of this pod. Uh, your support is always appreciated. So take care and we'll see you all on Thursday. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.